My name is Jacob. I'm the preaching minister here at Tri-Valley. We have been going through a series called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, as uh, Sarah has mentioned. And we're going to go through another segment of that teaching time together this morning. But uh, before we do, I want your help with something. Uh, Normally, my keys live right here in my front pocket, but they have gone missing. My keys are somewhere, maybe hidden, in this room, and I need your help finding my keys. If you wouldn't mind, I would like to invite everybody uh, for whom it is convenient to uh, stand up and locate my keys. They're somewhere in this room. If you help me find them, then you win a prize. It's the spoiler alert. It's a high five from me and my eternal gratitude and esteem. But yeah, please just take a couple minutes to help me find my keys. If I don't have my keys, I don't, they were in my pocket last. <laughs> yeah. Check, yeah, okay, check. <laughs> yeah, they're somewhere. They're somewhere. People at home, you're not going to be able to help me. You can text me where you think they might be, or you can type that in on the chat. I did. I did. I did. Uh, where is the diaper bag? I don't know those things. I don't know if I was on the stage. I don't know. Greg's not looking. But that's okay. <laughs> what makes you think that? Check, yeah. I found a pen. I've got my phone. Other pocket. Oh, wait, they were in my pocket the whole time. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Evie. Yeah, they, uh, man, isn't that frustrating? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. You lost your keys. You lost your your glasses. Where are they? They were someplace real obvious. You turn your house upside down. You blame others. Well, I didn't move them. Somebody else must have moved them. It's usually the kids. No, it's sometimes they're just right back where you left them. (laughs) I... I wanted to create an experience of searching for something that is lost. I also wanted to create an experience of frustration, and I wanted you to experience feeling like you wasted your time. What were we doing, Jacob? You knew where your keys were all along. Ah! Does it make you mad? Does it make you frustrated? Maybe for you it's not losing your keys. Maybe it's uh, misplacing your phone, or your sermon notes. I've done that a couple Sundays. Like, I set my Bible down. All the stuff I'm supposed to say is in there. I know it's around here. I just can't find it. It's a feeling of helplessness. It's, it, you kind of kick yourself a little bit. You're like, I'm better than this. I'm smarter than this. I can't keep track of my keys. Anybody with me? The experience of losing your keys is kind of like the experience of losing your mind. <laughs> and certainly... You can experience losing your cool in these moments. This is an example of an everyday, ordinary part of life that seems just just dumb. 
We try to avoid this. We try to, like I said, I'm smarter than this. I'm better than this. Shouldn't I be past this? And apparently the answer is no, because I still not only misplace things, I not only forget things, I'm not only inconvenienced by the simple, silly things in life, but then it just, it, it, it hits me here. I have an emotional response to something that just, just should be easy enough. So what do we do in these moments of frustration and helplessness? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's the everyday practice that we can find sacred principles within, losing your keys. Or in your case, if it's not your keys, maybe you have like a locator, like a tile or a, a Apple AirTag or something like, I lost my keys too many times. Now I'm geolocating them using fancy technology. Maybe it's something else that you lose regularly. But this morning, we want you to think about this interruption as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to remind yourself that I'm not perfect. And it can actually point us to this reminder that we still need Jesus. When we become so self-sufficient that we think we have everything in order, these little interruptions remind us, ah, maybe I did nine out of ten things right, but that tenth thing still got away from me. Instead of beating yourself up or having an emotional reaction to it or yelling at the people in your house, uh, I do that sometimes, take it out on the people that you love the most, think of it as an opportunity for spiritual growth as a reminder that we still need forgiveness, that we still need the grace of God. There's this concept, this theological concept called a theodicy. And people point to this often when studying the book of Job. Job experienced tragedies. God was there watching, allowing some of these horrible things to happen in the life of a good and righteous man named Job. The theodicy is, is wrestling with the problem of suffering in the world. How can there still be suffering and a good God? Shouldn't that good God do something about it? People often turn to the book of Job, or they turn to the, the concept of theodicy. They, they enter into that wrestling match. What do we do in these situations? How do we reconcile a good God in a world where there's still suffering when we experience big pain in life, a death? or an injustice, or a feeling of helplessness that is so big, it seems looming every day, day after day. It can be crushing. That's what theodicies normally focus on. But the author of the book that we're taking our cues from, the Liturgy of the, Liturgy of the Ordinary, asks the question, what about the little theodicies? What about the small sufferings in our lives? Don't they matter? Don't they mean something? If you take a look at our prayer list, sometimes the things that end up on the prayer list are the life and death situations, and we want to be lifting each other up. But I, I wonder sometimes if there's someone going through something in their life that they want to write a, car, a prayer card and say, please pray for me because I don't have it all together. Please pray for me. I keep making the same mistakes. Please pray for me because I'm just a silly person that loses their keys. And then maybe thinks twice about it and says, but that's not prayer worthy. That's not something I can share with people. That's the kind of thing I'd prefer to just pretend doesn't exist and put on my, my nice suit jacket and pretend like I have it all together. But those small sufferings matter because they impact our lives in real ways in the same way that losing your keys can impact your day and impact your household and impact your mood. So what do we do with these? What if 
instead of losing our cool, losing our minds, we say this is an opportunity to practice repentance, as Sarah and Ryan mentioned at the table. Repentance is something we need daily. When we come to Christ and we say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I need forgiveness of sin. I am lost without being in Christ. Uh, We make a public declaration of our faith. And that's a repentance of sorts. It's a turning around. It's a changing of our minds, not following ourselves, but following Jesus. And sometimes we go, and that's it. There's no more repentance needed. And in one sense, that's true. Because the grace of God shown through Jesus Christ, the the sacrifice that was made on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus by the power of God, took care of it all. We don't have to do anything but receive it. Uh, It is powerful enough. There's a a famous Christian musician, one of my favorite Christian artists named Rich Mullins, and he put it like this. He said, when I was a kid, I'd be born again, or I'd, I'd rededicate my life to Christ every year at camp. Every summer, I would rededicate my life to Christ when I was a kid. In college, I'd do it about every six months. And then by the end of college, I'd do it about quarterly. And by the time I was in my 40s, it was about four times a day. Then I would come before God and say, all right, I need, to, I need to repent. I need to go in the right direction again. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you hear that and think, but if we become followers of Christ, shouldn't we be better at living life? Shouldn't we not sin? Shouldn't we not lose our keys as much, so to speak? I think you could make a case for that. There should be transformation. We should become more like Jesus. But also, the more we mature in Christ, the more we have the humility and the wisdom to admit that we need grace every day. That like the prayer of confession that we prayed, we, we, we come before you admitting that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole heart, God. We ask for forgiveness for the things that we did, the things that we didn't do that we should have done. We need repentance. And the good news is we have it in Jesus Christ. But oftentimes we aren't sure about that. We doubt the forgiveness that is guaranteed in Jesus. And I wonder why that is. Because if you listen to Jesus, it's very clear on forgiveness. There's forgiveness in Christ. God forgives. The, the, the scripture that Rachel read for us earlier was a psalm that I knew Jesus read as a child and had memorized by the time he was into his adult ministry. As far as the east is from the west, that is as far as God has removed our sins from us. Is that good news? Is that good? It's not just like, "Ah, I'm going to overlook your sin this time, but I'm going to remember that you did that, and I might bring it up again if you start to slip. It's like, no. God says, I make you new. I make you clean. There's, There's newness in Christ. Forgiveness is there for those who ask. James, who we studied back in the fall, the the half-brother of Jesus, in his wisdom writings that we have in the New Testament says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. If you confess your sins, then there is healing. There's fresh start. There's newness. There's forgiveness. But confessing our sins, not just to one another, but to ourselves, is often that thing that we overlook because we don't want talk about it. We don't want to admit that we lost our cool, that we had a bad week, that we messed 
There's this movie from the early 90s called Defending Your Life, and it's got Meryl Streep, and it's got Albert Brooks. It's a comedy, and the, the premise is these people die, and then they're in this kind of holding area where they have to enter the afterlife as this movie depicts it. And the whole criteria for entering the afterlife in this movie is, were you brave? Did you do courageous things in your life? And it's basically like a courtroom where there's a, a prosecuting attorney and then someone who's defending you, and they'll, they'll show clips, video clips of your life. Look, they did this thing where they were brave. They took a risk. They, they, they gave their life for others. And then there's the prosecutor that says, you shouldn't get into the afterlife because you weren't brave. We'll show clips of the cowardly things that you did, the foolish things. And there's this one part <laughs> in the middle of the movie where there's just a montage of silly things that the main character, Albert Brooks, did. It's like, I'd like to present before the court just a series of mindless, foolish things that are kind of uh, representative of how this person lived their life. And it's just one silly thing after another. Forgetting to put your car in park and the car rolls down the hill and they're, they're chasing after it. Locking yourself out of your car, forgetting something, saying something foolish. And maybe sometimes that's how we think about our lives and we go, I want that tape, I want that montage to be destroyed. I don't want anyone to ever see that. But we know that it's there, yet we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And I want us to ask this morning, why? Why do we have a hard time forgiving ourselves? Let's go to John chapter 20. There's this, this moment in the life of uh, Jesus. After his resurrection, he goes and he meets with his disciples and reveals himself to them, saying, hey, I'm alive. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, remember the bodily resurrection. And Thomas says, oh, Jesus, uh, I hear that he's resurrected, but I haven't seen him. So unless I can touch the, the scars in his hands and feel his side where the, the spear pierced him, then I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus comes to him and says, all right, here I am. Feel away. I am real. I am bodily resurrected. Stop doubting and believe, uh, and believe he tells Thomas. This scene that we're going to look at, it happens right before that. This is just before, before Thomas was able to witness Jesus. John tells us this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then here's the weird part. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Hmm. This is tricky. Couple of strange things happening here. Why does he breathe on them? Some people who study this passage say that this is kind of like when God created, he created man from the, the dust of the earth and formed him with his hands and then breathed life into his nostrils. We we human beings have the breath of God. We have we are made in the image of God. This is kind of like a reference to that. God is breathing new life. God is doing something new. He is inaugurating his new creation. He's breathing on them. And this is the breath of the Holy Spirit that moves and has its way in our world if we allow it to. 
And then he says this strange thing. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. Well, wait a minute. I thought sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection, is what causes the forgiveness of sins. Not whether or not we pronounce somebody as forgiven. Not We are playing the judge. That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? I don't think Jesus is putting us in the position of the person who gets to triage who's forgiven and who's not forgiven. I think he's referring to the fact that forgiveness is available now. It is done. It is finished. The blood has been shed. The tomb is empty. The resurrection has begun. It's our job to tell people about this, to say, do you want to hold on that weight? Do you want to play that videotape in your mind over and over again and feel shame about it? Or do you want it to be as far as the east is from the west? Do you want God to separate that from you? Because that's available. That option exists. You forgive anyone their sins, then they're forgiven. Not because I say so, but because God said so. Because Jesus did the work. If you don't forgive them, then they are not forgiven. Well, okay, again, is this, if I don't say, oh, I'm, you kicked me with your foot on accident, I'm sorry. Well, I don't forgive you. That sin's going to stay with you for eternity. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about if this good news is something that we keep to ourselves, then people are going to know about it. N.T. Wright puts it like this, and I think explains it in a helpful way. He says, what Jesus is referring to is the fact that salvation was achieved and then needs to be activated. Salvation was achieved and now needs to be activated. He says, like a composer achieves writing a masterpiece symphony, now the orchestra has to play it. It has to be activated by those who have discovered it. He says, like a clockmaker designs a beautiful and wonderful clock, but now the owner has to set the right time and keep it wound so that it can do what it was designed to do. Jacob came along and like added a clunky example to this, but maybe it's a little bit more relatable for you guys. I think it's like an Amazon order. You place the Amazon order, the delivery person came and put it on your doorstep, but you still have to open it. You have to open the box and you have to use the item. Salvation was achieved, but it needs to be activated. And Jesus says, I'm sending you. Just as I was sent, now I am sending you to spread the good news, to pronounce forgiveness of sins as something that's available. How can we do that to others? We have a hard time receiving that ourselves. We beat ourselves up, and we hold on to the, the dumb things that we did, and I lost my keys, and then I lost my cool with my family, and ah, I don't even want to go to church because that's where we talk about joy and, and goodness and praise God. And honestly, I just had a bad week. I don't want anybody to, to see me. I, I'm not going to be able to be honest with people because if they find out what I'm really like, they'll run. They won't extend <laughs> forgiveness to me. I, I might not extend forgiveness to them. That's got to stop because that's not a Christ and that's not the church. Here's what losing your keys can remind you. And this is, this is what we want to attach to this daily when, when you lose your cool. When you make a mistake, when you mess up, hear God saying, you can mess up. Confess it. Just say, I messed up. I messed up. And know that there's forgiveness in Christ. If someone tells you about the bad week that they've had, have they've, not, they've not been living up to the standard of Christ that they committed themselves to when they were baptized and became a disciple of Jesus, you could say, man, that's a hard week, but you know what? There's forgiveness. 
you are forgiven. Not because I say so, but because the cross says so. That's the good word. It's hard to do if you're, when you're in that moment. You can't find your keys. You're blaming people. You're going into your, your typical coping mechanisms. You're, you're blowing a gasket. It's hard to go, oh, you know what? God sees me. God loves me. God gives second chances. There's forgiveness in Christ. And honestly, if I said that to one of you, when you're like at a boiling point, you might be like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not true. I heard a story recently from a friend of mine. He said, uh, Jacob, I've had a breakthrough in understanding the grace of God that's offered in Jesus Christ. He said, when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten, and there was uh, every weekend, they'd come back from the weekend, and they would have uh, show and tell. It was, it was like uh, sharing the news. I forget what he called it, but it was like news reports. So different kindergartners would come up to the front of the classroom and they would share the news. I went to the zoo this weekend. Everybody go, oh, cool, you went to the zoo. He said, I remember one day, I'll never forget this. I remember it clearly. This, this young girl, five-year-old girl, sweet as can be, comes up to the front of the classroom and she's so excited to share her news with the class. She says, my news is that I slept through the night without wetting the bed for the first time. So excited to share that with her friends at school. And the kids laughed at her. They laughed and they pointed and they made fun of her and they wouldn't let her forget it. He says she was so embarrassed because she was so excited to share that news. And they went, ah! She ran out of the classroom crying. He said, I was one of the chief laughers, scoffers. I was one of the ringleaders of torturing this girl who just wanted to share her good news. He said, I've carried that with me for 50 years. I blame myself for that. I hold on to that. I, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I preach forgiveness to others. I, I, I illuminate passages of Scripture where Jesus says there is forgiveness. Receive it. Believe it. Go live it. I haven't forgiven myself for this. He said, just recently, I've understood that God's grace is so big that there's even forgiveness for me. Something I did when I was a dumb kid all those years ago. Wow. That's great. That's amazing. I'm glad you finally realized that. But man, I don't want anybody here to wait that long to understand how eager God is to remove those sins and to give us a second chance and to wash us clean in the blood of Jesus. That's the good news that we have to believe ourselves or else we're not going to be able to extend it to others. This morning you might be thinking about this instance, what we're talking about here, and you might be thinking, ah, Jacob, it's actually harder for me to forgive myself than to forgive others. Or you might be thinking, it's actually harder for me to forgive others than to forgive myself. And maybe even not forgiving others is an extension of not forgiving yourself. But, but either way, this is something that we hear, but we need to believe and we need to live. That's why it's important to attach it to losing your keys, losing something, uh, getting off schedule, being late 
for something. Maybe you can't find something and you're, you're holding people up. And you're, ah, I messed up. There's forgiveness. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something that I didn't really think through, and it had harmful effects on the people in my life. They're not even ready to forgive me yet, but still, oh, be able, be willing to say, I messed up, and there's forgiveness in Christ. I want us to practice that this morning. A simple exercise as we move into a time of praying for one another. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to confess something that happened this week. And I want it to begin with, I messed up. And if you trust the person, if you're willing to share what that thing was, I messed up. I was trying to be funny, but I insulted somebody. That's something I did. I do that most weeks. I've got to be careful with my tongue. But I messed up. I did that. I shouldn't have confessed that to somebody. And then when that person tells you what they did, just say, your sins are forgiven. And again, don't feel like you're the Pope or anything. It's not because of any authority that's imbued in you. Well, except for maybe the Holy Spirit. But those sins are forgiven because Jesus said so. And it's up to you to be as honest or as uh, ambiguous as you would like to be. All you got to do is say, yeah, I messed up. I'm not really ready to talk about it. Just tell that person, your sins are forgiven. If you want to share more about that, this will be helpful. James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Take that burden off your shoulders. Uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do.